This is an exciting episode, ladies and gentlemen. I am thrilled to be here with you all for the 50th episode of the Pace Turkish Podcast. 50, 50. And first, I want to say thank you to everyone who has supported what I am putting together and been building here at the Page Turners. I sincerely thank all of you for all that you have done to help me get the 50, man. You know, when I started Page Turners, I didn't, I, I still haven't, didn't come in this to make a whole bunch of money, uh, to make any money. I didn't come in to be famous. I didn't come in to be popular. I came in because I wanted to provide a different method of political education, a different method of getting important, much-needed information out to the people so they can continue to struggle and fight. That is the goal. That is the objective. That is the reason why I do this. I love books. I love having conversations about books. I love sharing information. But best believe, ladies and gentlemen, that this is definitely a form of political education for those who need this crucial information. Every book that I've chosen has been intentional because it deals with the current climate of the world. And in most aspects and primarily pretty much every aspect is always going to be for the betterment of black folks across the diaspora. That's not necessarily my, you know, I don't have an exclusive audience, but I want to be honest and keep it 100 with you that I'm looking to have this information in the hands of black folks so they can continue to study and fight. I think everybody who listens, I think everybody who participates, but I don't want to be disingenuous here and act like, you know, my intent is for something else uh, if I'm not going to be anything I'm going to be honest always so again thank you to everyone for listening to the Page Turns Podcast I appreciate you uh, this is season 4 episode number 12 this is the 50th episode as a whole of the Page Turners and as a special gifts well, I won't say a special gift like because I ain't giving y'all no money or nothing like that but I'm also going to begin a new series now the myth and propaganda of black buying power which we're doing now will be continue to be video and audio so you'll be able to catch it on you know all the different platforms you'll be able to catch it on YouTube and, and SoundCloud and all these other different places but this next book that I'm going to be reading while doing the myth and propaganda. So I'll be doing two books. I'll be doing We Do This Till We Are Free by Mare, by Mareme Kaba. And I'm sure I'm butchering her first name and I apologize, but I'm sure she'll forgive me. 
We do this till we are free. Abolitionists organizing and transformative justice. Let me read a little bit of the back. What if social transformation and liberation are not about waiting for someone else to come along and save us? What if ordinary people have the power to collectively free ourselves? In this timely collection of essays and interviews, Marame Kaba reflects on the deep work of abolition and transformative political struggle. This is for those folks who have been, you know, talking about defunding the police and abolition and all those different types of things in regards to police terrorism. This is a fabulous book. I'm looking forward to diving into this very, very soon. So expect to see that. Uh, I'm not sure how we're going to do it, whether it's going to be season five. Uh, and I'm not sure. I haven't worked that out uh, yet, but I don't think that's an important piece at the moment. But anyway, let me dig into this text because I try to give you folks roughly 30, 35 minutes. I know folks are busy and you didn't hear me. You didn't come here to hear me pontificate about different things. You came here to listen to me read and discuss books. My goal is to equip you to study and fight. And I read. One cannot buy land that is already owned and not for sale, even if one can theoretically afford its value. Further, these are the precise disparities the initial BLS studies were meant to balance. The origins of buying power and the cost of living surveys by the Bureau of Labor and Statistics were meant to ease potential social unrest by alerting workers what their wages were actually worth in the national economy and making business and government aware to manage those wages and the prices of available goods to ensure labor could afford products brought to the market. This is perhaps the most insidious aspect of the myth in its current form. Now black buying power is used to compel black working people that persistent, even worsening inequality is correctable by redistrict, redirecting a non-existent pool of wealth into an equally non-existent place within the national economy. So it's basically telling black folks to take your non-existent dollars and place them in a non-existence place hoping that it's going to change your very real issues and that doesn't work that way and I read, interesting, Labor Day in 2016, as would be the case almost exactly one year later, brought fascinating but underreported stories which indirectly dispelled the myth of black buying power and directly challenged the repeated claims that black people could better use their incomes to improve their communities. During their special in 2016 for Labor Day, Counterspin, the radio component of fairness and accuracy in reporting fair discussed their Holly Schuyler of Business for Fair Minimum Wage, the growing concerns among corporations that working people can no longer afford to buy their products. In fact, Schuyler, by properly contextualizing buying power, actually exploded its mythology. The biggest thing businesses have complained about in recent years is that they're not seeing enough consumer demand. They're not seeing enough consumer buying power. They need more. 
You know, you need people to buy what they're making in order to sustain the business and to grow the businesses. There's obviously a direct connection. I say obviously, but folks like Donald Trump ideologically don't want to see it as obvious. You need people to have enough wages to be able to buy what they need. And if you are going to have growing middle class, you need people to be able to buy more than just the bare necessities, right? And that's what we've lost sight of. Of course we have. The problems for companies is actually and increasingly such that in an almost perfectly beautiful and symmetrical contradiction, they have become victims of their own messaging. The propaganda promoting a mythological buying power is actually beginning for those for whom the myth was originally intended. The company is seeking best use for their advertising dollars. People are not earning enough to buy all that they help produce and which the company selling those products need bought. The heavy promotion of the myth of buying power increases ad expenditures, which increase sales expectations, and those expected sales are, of course, driven up to match the advertising dollars spent largely as a result of the promise of power held among those targeted by those ads to buy what is sold. As Charles Mills once wrote of white supremacy, the fantasies created by racism invent an inverted epistemology, an epistemology of ignorance, a particular pattern of localizing global cognitive dysfunction, producing the ironic outcome that whites would, in general, be unable to understand the world they themselves have made. Worse still, from the standpoint of those spending advertising dollars, Labor Day 2017 featured venture capitalist Nick Hunter saying on national public radio that the country had already reached a point where Starbucks employees are not currently paid enough to afford Starbucks coffee. An imbalance, he assured, means the pitchforks are coming. Hunter was very clear. He is no socialist revolutionary. Capitalism as a multi-billion dollar venture capitalist is good for him, for now. His concern is that, as was put by Schuyler, there is not enough buying power, meaning people cannot afford the lifestyles promoted to them for which they work and work hard, as was precisely the initial purpose of the BLS reports. Their concern for Hunter is that when countries become radically and unjustifiably unequal, either there is revolution or a police state. Hunter, while being clear not to equate his position with socialism, because you can't do that, did say that those like him who are in power must raise the minimum wage closer to $21 an hour and dismissed as a trope the claim of his elite colleagues who argue that raising wages kills jobs. Here's the good part, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to this. Capitalism, he went on, is a good system or it's not. It can either allow working people to lead stable, dignified, secure lives, or it needs to be replaced. And this is a capitalist saying this. (laughs) He, of course, does not want that. What he does want, what benefits his class most, hearkening back to Barney's, is a secure middle class and a stable democracy. This, he says, demands strong buying power. 
But it is also, as Skyler and Honor made clear in two consecutive Labor Day media specials across multiple platforms, buying power is the ability of consumers to purchase what is made available to them by those who own their means of production. More importantly, as both stories demonstrate well, buying power is defined by dollar value, the ability of corporations and marketers to extract whatever dollars exist for their own enrichment or advance influence. Honor spoke in more stark and direct terms, reflecting his own class bias concerns and specifically for his own safety, but each he and Skyler were similarly clear that there is a growing concern among the wealthiest that an insufficient buying power will threaten their position in society. This is maybe more than any other is the most provocative evidence against any claim that buying power reflects a real racial class societal balancing of power. Black buying power cannot mean or reflect the possibility black people have to turn existing inequality as it is literally a measurement of the ability of black people to enrich the minuscule black bourgeoisie in route to truly helping a far more prominent and mostly white power structure further enrich and protect itself. And I'm going to read that one more time because I need you to get that. <laughs> Black buying power cannot mean or reflect the possibility black people have to overturn existing inequality as it is literally a measurement of the ability of black people to enrich a minuscule black bourgeoisie en route to truly helping a far more prominent and mostly white power structure further enrich and protect itself. Consistent with previous critiques of black bourgeoisie promoting buying power for its own interests is the black press reporting all those claims as a matter of pride. Not long before Hanish claimed call to his own classmates, the black press was championing buying power as driving diversity in hiring. Individual gains used to convince the collective of that illusion. <laughs> That such stories target black women specifically is of a particular concern given the consistently precarious economic condition facing this group. Now, peep this. Consider in 2017, the median annual income for full-time year-round black women workers was just over 36000 an amount 21% lower than that of white women. Further, Collectively, the immense disparity in wealth between black and white household has reached its highest level since 1989. For every dollar of wealth owned by the typical white family, the median black family owns only 5%. And for black women, levels of education, experience, and age do not come with commiserate levels of pay or access to wealth and at its most extreme, black single mothers experience the largest wealth disadvantage with a median wealth of zero. And I'm going to read that one more damn time. Black single mothers experience the largest wealth disadvantage with a median wealth of zero. But these realities are less identifiable when so much black press promotes stories telling of something a bit more mythological exemplified that later that same year, July 2017, a story that about Lisa Brown, the diversity and inclusion consultant for Volkswagen Group of America, 
as the story concludes. This story right here, boy, let me tell you. I've been with Volkswagen for 18 years and worked in after sales as an operation manager, said Brown. I was the first female caller, only the second woman who held that position. Brown continued, now there are a lot more women in the region terms, teams. When I started, there were one or two, and now there are three or four women per region and five in our leadership executive position. Along with increasing the amount of women in leadership, the workforce at Volkswagen, the company has also partnered with organizations and universities to ensure that the company has access to a highly qualified and diverse talent pool. Brown stated, we have partnered with the School of Business at Howard University and the National Black MBA, both the D.C. and Detroit chapters, and Inroads, Inc. We also have an executive mentoring program for women. Brown said that because of the strong buying and consumer power in African-American community, African-Americans must be conscious about how inclusive these companies are. Due to the fact that the black community has such strong buying power, the automotive industry must cater to the black demographic, Brown added. Companies need to market to African-American community and have African-American leadership, said Brown. Brown continued, there's a value and appreciation for understanding the partnerships we create, and we have to make sure we have direct link to African-American community. That's disgusting. That's disgusting. I just want people to begin to just actually do some research, man. Do some do some Googles. Do some whatever. Whatever it's searching way you do. Search blacks buying automobiles. Search blacks compared to others renting or, or rather leasing buying used cars. Blacks in public transportation. Look at some of the data and I'm also almost guaranteed that you're going to see that this idea that the automotive industry must cater to the black folks is, is something that black folks are not running out and buying brand new cars. I, I would love to see this data out there that that somehow averages out the year uh, the year of the vehicles that black folks drive. Are we driving more five-year-old vehicles, 10-year-old vehicles? I would love to see that data. And I read, again, buying power is represented here in its reality and that it is used to define cater as individual hires of black executives and capture of more black customers for Volkswagen. The myth is also represented in so far insofar as buying power is conveyed as an economic strength of the black community whole. Fitting, too, is that Jay-Z's 444 was released the same month, July 2017, where it also circulated the myth as was reported. Jay-Z summons black people in general to stop thinking as mere consumers and capitalize on the staggering buying power by supporting our own. What's better than one millionaire to Jay-Z said on Family Feud, especially when they're from the same you as you. He continues as he tells them to buy black and build black. And this is insanity. This idea that 
somehow if we have more millionaires and billionaires that are current, for one, it's just, listen, the idea of becoming a millionaire is slim to none. And it's not like the millionaires and billionaires that we do have are somehow revolutionizing and radicalizing the black collective. If anything, they're preying upon the black collective. And I read, later that same year, in September, it would again be the black press, either owned or targeted, and this time, the griot, making reference to Nielsen extolling the virtues of black women and hashtag black girl magic. But only to the extent that these women drive sales for jewelry, social media, and their ability to run businesses and be brand loyal. The old trope of black brand loyalty is represented here as somehow new as black women increasingly demonstrate their fidelity to products. Now, listen to this right here, man. This is really, oh, man. And black women are credited with advancing as business owners, despite more sound research, which demonstrate that most have no paid employees and are run as an alternative to what would otherwise be unemployment. For instance, it has been reported in 2012 that all told 2.5 million black businesses had no paid employees, an increase in increase of 39% from 2007. Instead, so much more focus drawn to reports like this one, which came shortly thereafter in November of that same year, this time with news of a Black Wall Street app and claims that it would direct all the black buying power to these black businesses, which in turn would stabilize communities by providing jobs, paying taxes, and keeping money in this community where they live. Listen to this, man. This is good. There are many other associated fantasies, packages, and claims of dollars circulating in communities or keeping money in a community. Among others would be the fantasy that there are enough black-owned businesses in black communities large enough to serve the consumer needs and wants of that community. Again, Buying power is a concept developed by advertisers for advertisers where the goal is not to have money remain in any given community, but to move from that community into the pockets of the advertisers and the owners of the products being marketed. The goal, as Nielsen points out, is that the notice be taken by corporations of the power black folks have to make them more money. Companies should take notice of even the subtle shifts in spending because black consumer brand loyalty is contingent upon a brand's perception as authentic, culturally relevant, and socially conscious and responsible. Damn. The power of black dollars is in their ability to flow outward. There are a few black-owned companies and less capital in black communities to develop them large enough to serve black consumer needs. Buying power does not represent the potential with any community to develop business, procure assets like land or stock, or to invest in any development mental programs. Buying power represents the outflow of potential to enrich owners of companies large enough to serve national populations. <sighs> Finally, 
even when the black press gets part of the equation correct, their frame or their interpretive lens has already been preset to a formula, a terribly, to formulate a terribly flawed conclusion. Surprise. At the end of 2017, Black Enterprise Magazine ran a rare commentary which began with the correct black buying power is not the measure of real wealth title. But from there, and the accurate assertion that income is not the same as wealth, the article returns to form, even demonstrates its own contradictory logic. After promising the distinction being made between income and wealth, the article somehow argues that what needs to happen is that Black people need to move from poverty creation to wealth creation. And basis is solely on the associated buying power tropes of saving, spending less on frivolity, and more on appreciating assets like stock. But as mentioned, people buy what is available to them for purchase. In this case, as was previously described regarding land, there is no stock available for purchase, even for those who may be able to afford it. Listen to this section right here, man. In terms of financial wealth, in 2013, the top 1% of households had 49% of all private. The top 10% had 84 to 94% of stocks, bonds, trust funds, business equity, and almost 80% of non-home real estate. Since financial wealth is what counts as far as the control of income-producing assets, we can say that just 10% of people own the United States of America. The only category which is not skewed severely towards the upward class is debt. If 1% have nearly half of all the stocks and the top 10% have 84% to 94 stocks, bonds, trust funds, and business equity, what is left for purchase? Similarly, the Black Enterprise piece answers its own contradictions in many ways, simplifies the entire argument over buying power as the piece claims. By the way, as of the 2010 U.S. Census, there were 42 million black people in America. That means $1.2 trillion equates to about 28000 in spending power per person. The previously discredited formula simultaneously and dangerously misleads as to the misproportion also demonstrates the misflaw logic. If black median household income has only just reached 41,000 in 2018, it makes it impossible the figure quoted above 28,000 per person in spending power, right? First, of course, of the 40 plus million black people now all are working age or have their own income revenue. Secondly, the one trillion figure is itself a figment as previously described of marketer imagination, survey data exfoliation, and curious math. 
what is evident here again is the power of the myth to create false realities and frames of reference from which proceed the most flawed arguments and conclusions. If the median household income is not quite 42000 annually, how then could it be described as power that each person would be said to then be spending nearly all that they make? Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes chapter five of the myth and propaganda of black buying power. The next time we get together for season four, we will begin in chapter six. I want to thank everybody again for all of your support in making the page turns what it is becoming, what it has been. I thank you on this 50th episode for all that you have done for the page turns. I'm excited about